Morning, Crossroads. So, um, how many veterans do we have here today? If you're a veteran, can you please stand? Do we have some veterans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Veterans Day on Thursday, and I just you know, thought it was important for us to remember those who have given of their time um, to serve our country. So let me, uh, kids, you're dismissed. Forgot about that. Kids can head off. Go back to the family check-in counter for Children's Church. Yes? It's your birthday today? To you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Gideon, happy birthday to you. I saw your post this morning, Amy, about how bold and outspoken, that's an example right there. Love it. Uh, So let's take a moment. I just want to pray for all our veterans here and uh, around. Father, uh, we are blessed to live in a country uh, where we have freedoms, and we know that there are many people who give of their time uh, to make sure uh, that we have them. So we just thank you for all of those veterans. And I want to pray specifically, Father, for those veterans who suffer with PTSD or other mental health issues or um, physical issues. Uh, Father, what a, a sacrifice. We, we pray that you would fill their lives with your peace. Um, I pray that you would reveal yourself to each one of them in a very powerful way in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew mentioned our Encounter Weekend coming up, um, and I just want to reiterate the fact that we're going to do this 40 hours of prayer and fasting. The fasting begins Friday night at 5 p.m. and ends on Sunday morning uh, here at church. Um, We are doing it a little different than our first time we did it, and that means our prayer room and our sanctuary are going to be open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday. So you just come anytime during that. Spend an hour. You can walk around, whatever. We'll have people in the building hosting. Um, but it's just, uh, there's nothing between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. that is directed. It's, it's time for you to come fast and pray. And then from 6 to 8 p.m., we're going to do a corporate worship and prayer time here in the sanctuary. Why do we do this? Well, often we see the early church, when they were facing different things, they fasted and prayed. And personally, uh, all of us have something that we need God to intervene on, right? We all have something. So come personally, whatever whatever weighing on your heart, come personally, corporately, we're, we're just praying for our, the church, for Crossroads Church and the church around the world. Um, 
clearly from my vantage point and as I read from other church leaders around the world, there is a pruning going on within the church. And pruning is always good. Um, the reason why uh, vine keepers prune vines is so that the vines will bear more fruit. And so we, that's our desire. Our desire is that we bear much fruit for God's glory. That's what we want to do. And so if that means pruning, well, God prune. Go ahead. Um, so join us on, on this weekend for this fasting and prayer. One of the most familiar stories in the Bible is the story of Adam and Eve, especially the great deception. Um, and the serpent, the great deceiver who is called the father of lies, what does he do successfully? Well, he deceives. He deceived Eve by actually asking a simple question, did God actually say? He didn't approach Eve with a whole list of things why God is wrong and there is no God and all that kind of stuff. He just said, did God actually say? And of course, I think it's interesting because what, what did God say? God said, don't eat of this, the fruit of this tree, this tree, the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that one. And yet when Eve responds to the serpent, she says, yeah, not only did he say don't eat, he said don't touch it. Sometimes the greatest deception of the evil one is more rules. You ever thought of that a moment? Sometimes the greatest deception that the evil one does is create more rules. So Eve's response is not only, not, don't just eat, but don't, don't you dare touch it. No, 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 that's not what God said. You and I, um, we're, we're really no different than Eve or Adam. We get deceived. This is why it's important for us to always be coming to God and asking Him to reveal His truth and to reveal the deceptions of the evil one in our lives. Paul has been dealing with a lot of deception in the church of Corinth, and we've been spending the last year and a half talking about that. The interesting thing is that even deceptions can be mostly true. That's the crazy thing is, all you have to do is change 5% of it, maybe even 10% of it, and it appears true and it seems true, but at the heart of it, there's a deception. And so Paul has all these things that he's been talking about that we've been going through the last year and a half. We've gone through 1 Corinthians. There's all this stuff that is, there's a lot of truth to it. And it's important. And we've got to deal with it. We've got to talk about it. But it gets us off track of what is most important. 
In chapter 15, Paul begins by wanting to remind the people of the gospel, the good news that he preached to them, and which they received, and which they took a stand on. It's by this gospel that you are saved, and it is this gospel that we looked at two weeks ago that Paul said is of first importance. Now, there are other things that are important, and Paul talks a about them, like correcting sexual immorality that was going on in Corinth. Yep, <laughs> that's important, but it's not first of importance. The debate whether being married or single is more important or, and better, yes, that's a conversation we need to happen, but it's not of first importance. Even, you know, eating food offered to idols, whether that is godly or not godly, yes, that's, we, let's talk about it, but it's not of first importance. What is of first importance is the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 3 and 4. And so I, you see the words on the screen. I want you to read these words out loud with me, starting in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to Scriptures. That's the Gospel. And you notice that I highlighted, died, buried, raised. That's the good news. Jesus came, He died, He was buried, and He rose again. That people is the gospel, and that message is of first importance. The early church would actually take these verses, these, uh, many scholars think that they would take these two verses here and they would recite them together whenever they gathered. They would, it kind of became their creed to remind themselves of what is of first importance. Hey, remember, here's why we get together. Christ died according to Scriptures. He was buried, and He rose again according to Scriptures. goes on to say this in verse 5. He says, And He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. This, people, is what of first importance, and we have over 500 people that are witness to it. The gospel is this, that Christ died, was buried, and he rose again, and because of that... You and I, when we die, we will be rising again to spend eternity with God the Father. 
Paul is wrapping up 1 Corinthians by reminding the church of what is of first importance. But he, he, if you remember, this was a long time ago, in chapter 1, he starts out with telling the church of what is of first importance. In verse uh, 10 of chapter 1, he talked about that there should be no divisions, that we be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Stop quarreling. In verse 17, he said that he was sent to preach the gospel, not with eloquent words, but preach the gospel, because if he spoke with eloquent words, then the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power. And in verse 18, he says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God is in the message of the gospel. Christ died, he was buried, he rose again. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, decided when he came to Corinth to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all that he came with. He starts out, 1 Corinthians, it's about the cross, it's about the gospel. He comes to the end of 1 Corinthians, it's about the gospel. Paul does a similar thing in Romans. We see in Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God. There it is again, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. Do you, do you see it here? It is the power of God that brings salvation. What brings salvation? The gospel. Jesus Christ came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Paul is not afraid to proclaim the gospel. He's not ashamed of it. Because he knows it's the power of salvation, and that's, his, that's what he's here about. That's why he's here. And... Um, and today, you feel like you keep hearing that it, the church is operating out of fear. And I would say, yes, the church is operating out of fear. But I, I think the deception comes in is that we think that the church is operating out of fear because we don't speak out about certain issues. But I think the greater fear is that we don't proclaim the gospel. That Jesus Christ died, was buried, and he rose again. And because of that, you and I, we will rise again. Now, that doesn't mean these other issues are not important. They are important, and there's places for the church to speak truth. Absolutely, but what is of first importance and what brings salvation is the gospel. Paul says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. This message of salvation is to everyone. A couple of verses before this, Paul tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's the power of the gospel, the power of the cross. And that is what Paul is not ashamed of proclaiming. Because he knows that when somebody shouts with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and when somebody believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that person is saved, and that is of first importance. This is why I think Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I will become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul continues on in Romans 10 and with verse 14 and 15. He says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love Paul's logic because sometimes it is really simple and easy to understand. His first question is this, how then can someone call on the one they have not believed in. It, it's that simple. If, if you don't believe in Jesus, how can you call on Him to be Lord? You can't. It's that simple. And then he asks, well, and then how can they believe if they haven't heard? It, it, they can't proclaim Jesus is Lord if they don't believe, and they can't believe if they haven't heard. Makes sense, right? Clearly, simple. And how can someone hear if there isn't somebody preaching to them? Wow. And then how can somebody preach if they aren't sent now, this, this generates some additional questions for me. How can they preach if they aren't sent? So how are people sent? Who sends them? Sure, God sends them, absolutely. Is that the responsibility of the church? Is that the responsibility of families? I mean, we're, faith at home is a big deal for us, and we believe that our parents are to disciple their children, and our grandparents are to help in that. Should our parents be sending their kids to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I'm, I'm just asking questions. A lot of times when I study the Bible, I, I come out with more questions than I have answers for. So here's a question. 
if the church is supposed to send people out, and the church isn't sending people out to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, is the church failing at its mission? What if that was our evaluation tool, elders, staff? What if our evaluation tool was the number of our people that were going into their workplace, into their neighborhoods, into their sphere of influence, and they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ? What if that is our evaluation tool? How are we doing, church? Romans 10, 17, Paul wraps up this section here saying, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. There it is. All these questions that Paul asks, he says, Consequently, here it is. Faith comes from hearing the message. Faith to proclaim Jesus is Lord and to believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word about Christ. Through when somebody, word here is rhema, it's spoken. When somebody speaks out the message. This in my opinion, is a place where the church in America is generally is missing it the most. And this is where I think the deceiver gets us concerned about other things that are important, but they're not of first importance. That means that we don't it doesn't mean these aren't important and we don't and we get rid of them. That's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about these are important, but what what is of first importance is salvation and how are people saved when somebody proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ to them? That's how they are saved. And that brings us to our text today. 1 Corinthians 15. That was my introduction. The body of my message is a lot shorter, just to, so you don't worry. But this is our text today, chapter 15, starting with verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We talked about this couple weeks ago. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed Good news, glorious news, news that people need to hear because this is the news that brings salvation. This is the news that brings hope to the world. 
For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The gospel. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. That means someday... Either I'm going to die and go to sleep. I love that language. And then when Christ comes, I'm going to be risen. Or Christ comes and I'm still here all of a sudden in a twinkling of an eye. Boom! This old perishable body is gone. The imperishable is here. Mortality is gone. Immortality has come. Paul's challenge for us in that last verse. He says, therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. The stand firm is all about being unwavering. The nothing move you is being immovable. It's being firmly persistent. It's You know, it's what we talk about when I grew up and played football and I was a lineman. It was was that foundation, firm, so they can't be moved. Or that you're moving. Stand firm. It's playing basketball, setting a pick. Stand firm so that you can't be moved. That's the picture here. Stand firm. Be immovable. About what? I'm glad you asked. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord. Right there. Don't let anything move you off the work of the Lord. Don't let deception of Satan bump you off the track of the work of the Lord. And what is the work of the Lord? Uh, I've said it a few times already this morning. Morning, Right? It's the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel because people can't believe if they don't hear. And God has called the church to proclaim. And in my opinion, God has called the church to send its people out to proclaim. Jesus came proclaiming the good news to the poor. Binding up the brokenhearted, setting the captive free. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. We are now ministers of reconciliation. We are to go and reconcile people to God by proclaiming the good news of Christ. It is the great command. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. When I love God with all of me, I love others with all of me, and I 
need to proclaim the good news of Christ. It's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. This, people, is of first importance. Here's the, the good, good news for us. Our God is a God of grace and mercy and love. So even, even when I get bumped off course, God just loves me. He says, hey, Brett, come back this way. There's, there's no condemnation by God saying, Brad, you are a bad boy. No! It's like, yeah, Brad, the, the better way is over here. Here it is. So, I, what, if you're feeling any kind of condemnation this morning, uh, that is, that's not from God. Okay? God, is, God challenges us. His Word, I get challenged by His Word all the time, and this Word has been challenging me about what is of most important, and it's the Gospel. The other thing is this, is that God says that when any work that I do around proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is work that is not in vain. It's not. You invite a neighbor over for dinner and you don't talk about anything spiritual but your desires someday, that work's not in vain. You're just loving on people. Any work proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is not in vain. So here's some questions for us. One, what is keeping me from giving myself completely to the work of the Lord? Uh, for me, I, it's fear. It, I met a new neighbor yesterday because I was taking care of my daughter's dog, and my daughter's dog ran away after my neighbor's dog, and got to meet her and all that kind of stuff. And and I, I, this message is it's like okay, I could sense fear rising. <laughs> That's from the evil one. God's not given us that spirit of fear. He just wants us to love on people and care for people. So what is keeping me from compl- myself com- giving myself completely to the work of the Lord? Second question, am I willing to talk to God about the work of the, that He has for me? You see, each one of you has a job. Your workplace is not just a place you make money or advance in your career. It's a place for you to bring the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, to. Nobody can do that except for you in your work environment. I can't. So God, you have me have this job. How do you want me to proclaim your good news here? Ask Him. I can give you lots of ideas, but ask Him. He'll show you. Your neighborhood, where you live, so too. You think maybe you chose that house, but maybe God put you there. And maybe there's a neighbor down the road that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Teens, 
you're in school. Um, what if school is where God has you to proclaim his good news? As we move forward, you know, we've, we've talked about some of this stuff in the past about praying for our neighbors, being intentional. We're going to keep bringing that stuff here. We're going to keep talking about it. Um, I, I think the church is supposed to send its people out. And the interesting thing about what's going on in our world today is that, and we talked about this way at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we live in a post-Christian world. Meaning, there's lots of people who have no idea who Jesus is that live just down the road from us. And their first place to go to help is not the church. So we have to shift church from expecting people to come here and we have to go out there in church. We need to prepare each other, encourage each other to go out and Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm excited for what God has for us because I think God's in the midst of pruning the church worldwide, even Crossroads Church, for the purpose of that we would be a place that bears fruit for His glory. And I think... That as I pray often, I pray often that someday this place would be a place where 40% of the people attending here were new believers. I pray that on a regular basis. When I can't do it on my own, we have to do it together. Let's pray. Father, first of all, I just want to thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy that even when we get off course, no matter what it is, that you just lovingly bring us back. And that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And yet, Father, we have more we can do. We can do a better job of proclaiming, and we desire that. We want to be a place that is proclaiming your good news. Show us how, teach us how, equip us. Show us where you're at work in our communities and how we can join you. And Father, I pray that this would be a place that someday, 40% of the people attending here would be new believers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.